Welcome to The Confessional. I'm Mike Moran. Tell us your deepest, your creepiest, your funniest. Confess to us. No one's listening. All right, everybody, welcome to The Confessional. I am Mike Moran, and I am joined, as always, by producer Jimmy Seleski. How are you, Jimmy? I'm doing well, man. Jimmy from the Live from the Studio podcast, of course. Jimmy. Yes. If people want to submit their own confessions to this podcast for some ridiculous reason, <laughs> where can they do that? Uh, if you would like to participate, uh, Mike, you usually post up a topic every week for people to yes. uh, toss their own confessions on on the Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash confessional podcast, where you can submit your confessionals. And we will, of course, ask you for permission before we read them aloud on the podcast. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, that's where you want to go. You can also find us on every major streaming platform, yep. Spotify iTunes, Google Play. That's all the ones I know. And give us, give us a subscribe if you don't mind. Yeah, and we I appreciate think, the I think they're called follows now. I think subscribes is really? uh, early 2010s uh, terminology. Really? I think everybody just we, just, we follow now. We don't subscribe, we follow. Huh, well. So follow us. I had no idea that it, I was being retro there. That's probably why people haven't been subscribing. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, what are you talking about? Subscribe yeah. to your newsletter. All right, and our guest co-host today jimmy mm -hmm. this woman has stopped by many times very good friend of the confessional please welcome the very talented diana keating diana how hey, are you i'm great Mike, thanks, thanks for coming by thank again. you for having me how you been i'm good yeah. just got back from california oh what'd you do out there Ooh. i worked at a yarn show of course <laughs> a yarn show wow how was that it was insane the yarn show was insane. It is insane. Was there rioting? Was there, there like are, um, you would be surprised that there is actually a knitterati. So like there <laughs> are yarn, there are yarn celebrities and people wow. were How losing. How am I just hearing about people this? People were losing their shit over, you know, certain people at the show. Really? Yeah. Were there like people fainting and screaming I mean, like the Beatles? It was pretty close. Like I really? had my picture taken with one of them and um, I showed, I was like, look at how you would wear the sweater. Like I was giving her an example of how you would wear a crop sweater. And whoa. she looked at the picture and she was like, oh my God, you're with Gigi. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't even know that was a famous person. But <laughs> she like wow. flipped out when I showed her a picture of me with a, I guess, famous person. <laughs> oh my god! Wow, I had no idea this yeah. was a part of your life, Diana. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, we'll have to discuss that further later. That's, that's the, I, I didn't know that world existed, and I didn't know you were a part of it. No. Yeah. Huh. Man, <laughs> sounds crazy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I am literally speechless. Speechless. <laughs> <laughs> the world of yarn. Yeah. Wow. We'll have to do an all yarn episode. We mm -hmm. could. Oh, okay. I'm, sure I'm happy be to a bundle of fun. <laughs> I'm trying to make jokes. I have no idea where <laughs> yeah, to start. I don't even know yarn terminology. <laughs> uh, right, yeah. Just keep stringing it along. There yeah. you go. There you yeah. go. Strung out. There you go. We're getting somewhere. All right. And that, of course, Diana is our guest on The Confessional this week. This woman is very talented, very funny. She does stand up comedy, she does some teaching. She does some other stuff. Please welcome to the confessional, Abby Mello. Abby, Hello. how are you? I have a new life goal. I want to be a famous fiber arts person now. Fiber this arts. is right. Yeah. Great. Have you heard about this, Abby? Fiber arts, I have heard of. Fiber um, arts. I had to look it up. Someone put it on a resume once, and I was like, what are they talking about? And then I realized they meant knitting and yarn, wow. yarn based. Mm. Is there an alternative fiber arts scene? Is there like the mainstream people and then the underground types? Mm. I mean, we have indie dyers, right? Like, yeah, yeah, independent dyers as opposed to like the big name, you know. Interesting. Red Heart that you buy at sure. Michael's. I was about to say, do you yeah. make fun of the people? Who, or can you tell if a it yarn has like come a... from like a craft store? Yeah, there are yarn, yarn <laughs> snobs. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. It's very mainstream. Yeah. It's getting hard to not keep going back to the yarn because that's yeah. so fascinating. <laughs> but that's not what we're discussing today. Diana, what are we discussing? We're talking about... Her horrible, terrible bosses. Yes, not the film. No. The actual bosses. No, yeah. 
And uh, Abby has a lot of, uh, you, you've been doing some research on that, right? So I teach a leadership class and uh, I teach a unit within that on destructive leadership or toxic leadership. Right. And so, uh, yeah, hopefully I'll have some insights for you guys from the th- research perspective awesome. on what what they've said about bad Interesting. bosses. Uh, in addition to that, Abby also uh, is part of the Clitorati Presents Lip Service Comedy Showcase every first Thursday of the month at the Lou Costello Room in Zizimos at Baltimore, $5, 8.30 p.m. I did that all from memory. <laughs> Abby, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's just a, it's a stand-up comedy showcase for women and people who identify as women, and um, we do it every month. And Michael Furr is a great uh, – he's kind of my co-producer. He produces all the shows at the Lou Room, and so we work together to put on this monthly showcase. And, yeah, there's actually a lot of all-women's shows coming up in 2019, so keep an eye out. More doing some stuff with uh, Excuse me, 2020. Oh, gosh. Yes, last yeah. year. Last year coming up last year. Lots of, <laughs> lots of shows. Sorry. Right, yeah. 2020. Lots of stuff. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, let us get to a confession. This is from Paul Buchanan, East Kilbride, Scotland. I think this might be our first Scottish confession. Kilbride. Yeah, that's uh, uh, yeah. I I don't want to imagine how that name is actually pronounced. I that's definitely how so. Okay. Okay. K i l b r i d e. Okay. I'm like maybe there's maybe there's there's more. They're like, how could we have a more disturbing name than Liverpool? (laughs) I had a manager a few years ago. I was open about my depression and mental illness from the start. Said that sometimes it would just come out of nowhere and there was basically nothing I could do about it but to deal with it. She thanked me for being honest and that that was that. A few months later, I said to her that I'd had a hit a bad patch and things were kind of shaky for me. I'll never forget what she said to me. She's told me that she knew what it was like. She had dealt with mental illness herself. She hadn't. She was one of the many one of those people who always had to say they knew what you were going through so they could tell you that they conquered it. <laughs> it was terrible and that she'd never wish it on anyone. But it was entirely within my control and I shouldn't let it bother me, so I should just leave my problems at the door when I come to work and just sit back down and get to work, okay? When my coworkers found out that she'd said and pointed out that that kind of discrimination was outright illegal. They said I should go to her boss and tell them uh, what had happened. The day I was going to do that, she told us that she had been she was being promoted since she was also spending more time sucking up to her superiors than being a manager. So I would, in essence, be talking to her about herself. I didn't last long at that job for some reason. What do you guys think about that? Mental health. Yeah, I don't know much about the laws in Scotland about that, but in America, if you have a you know um, a medical right, is, is that a thing? And I mean, I've never once thought to like tell my boss, you know, I suffer from depression. So, so you can get what's called a reasonable accommodation for an existing condition. So in that case, they might, uh, you know, they should be making a reasonable accommodation if you have just like if you had a physical, uh-huh. you know, disability or. A, a relapse of a physical ailment right, that right. they should be, they only have to reasonably accommodate you, which means they, you, you can't expect your entire job to be restructured. You can't expect mm. to get five months off with pay. They you need know. a nap every but, two hours. Yeah. Honestly, you know, there, <laughs> if you need breaks, if yeah. you need, if you need to work from home for a bit, if you, you know, whatever it is, a, a, a longer lunch break to go see a therapist or something like that, they uh-huh. should be making reasonable accommodations for that condition. Hmm. Interesting. What you, have you heard anything about that, Diana? I never, I mean, I know like for different sorts of things like, you know, autism or things like that, that they, they mm. do that. But I wasn't aware of like depression or mm-hmm. anxiety or any other of the types of mental. Right. Yeah. I guess, does it seem like that's a little bit more acknowledged in the UK than in America? I have no idea. <laughs> I lived there a long time ago, so I don't remember. Right, yeah. yeah. But I guess what he was saying about the the boss or or like the type of narcissistic person who will say that they're that they've been through what you've been through is that is that a thing, Abby? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, uh, she might have just been trying to like relate, right? Um, yeah. But and I don't know what evidence that person has that she has not had issues in her past you know he seemed pretty right. convinced that she had never dealt with the thing that he's dealt with but you know unless mm-hmm. he's known her her whole life then 
I don't think he could say that. Yeah. I, I honestly do think there are those people in the world who are like, I got to top your story every time Absolutely. you tell your story. I don't yeah. know why I'm taking yeah. the horrible yeah. boss's side over here, but <laughs> <Yeah>. I <laughs> got to get those sides. You're like, there. that's true. Yeah, that's I had, true. you know, mosquitoes, you know, uh, uh, give birth to their babies out of my leg. And they're like, yeah, I had that happen to me too. You know, you're like, come up with like the craziest thing. And well, it I happened. had a snake yeah. crawl into my anal cavity while I was pooping. <laughs> um, yeah. Is that like a narcissistic trait though, to, to do that like kind of one-upmanship type of thing? I'm not, me neither. Oh, for Just, sure. I would, obviously, that's a narcissistic trait, I would say. Right, yeah. If you're trying to make it about you. I don't know if it's clinically but if, narcissistic, but it's a narcissistic trait. Yeah, but it's not like the boss in, the, in this particular situation was saying like, oh, well, I did this thing you did, but better. Yeah, I think I think it could be narcissistic. Uh, not, not to put it, cast any shade on the confessor, uh-huh. but it could also be looked at as narcissistic that the confessor assumes that no one else has ever dealt with what they're dealing with. Right, yeah. Or at least the person who's talking well, I, to them. I would assume that they are have experience with the person doing the same thing in other capacities. Possibly, yeah. I, I seriously doubt they would they would make that assumption just from you know that one mm-hmm. that one incident. But I mean that does kind of bring up another side to things like the the horrible the 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 perspective of the horrible boss, you know, like some people, I will say like, it does almost seem like there is, if there's any function for people like that in society, it's to like get stuff done, you know, like it does seem like a lot of successful people are really shitty people in a lot of ways, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, why don't we move on to Abby's experience with, uh, can you tell us your your experience with destructive leadership? Yeah, I I was trying in preparation for this. I was trying to think about past managers or leaders that I'd had experience with. You know, the since we went the horrible bosses route, I've not had. I think I, most of my managers and leaders have been pretty good. Um, mm. But I've also taken a path in my career where I don't have a lot of oversight. It's very independent, right? And right. so I think that's for a reason because I think I yeah. don't. I think I'm not good at having a boss. I think I'm the same way. Yeah. I really don't like it. Yep, I don't. I like to be in control of my own schedule. I know what needs to get done, and I'm gonna do it all. Mm-hmm. I just don't need anyone telling me when to do it or how to do it. You know, right? Well, I don't do you like do you have people that you're a boss to? Yeah, sort of. I have graduate assistants, and there's like a part time uh, administrative assistant that's assigned to my program, and I'm not. I'm not a good. I don't think I'm a good manager. Really? I think I'm a good leader. I think I care about my people a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, there's sort of, there's two sides to leadership. There's like ta- the way they talk about the literature, task and relationship building. So you have to get the tasks done. Mm-hmm. But ideally, you also build relationships and build up your people and build mm-hmm. up their capacity. So I think I'm actually quite good at building up people and forming relationships. Right. I'm not as good at keeping people on task and setting deadlines and following up and making sure they did it and giving mm-hmm. them feedback and telling them if they didn't do it right. I'm bad at that. Really? So uh, why? I think most. You most, seem like a bold person. You don't seem like the type of person who would like you know be too too nice to not. I'm like, too nice. I'm way really? too nice. Yeah, I'm way too relationship oriented, not very task oriented when it comes to d- giving direction to mm-hmm. others. Um, and I think most bosses have never been trained on that. A mm-hmm. lot of people get promoted in their jobs. Not that this happened to me, but. Um, maybe in the situation of that last confessional person, people get promoted because they're good at what they do, not because they're good at telling other people right, to do what right. they do. Interesting. And then you usually don't get any training on how to... Delegation is like a really difficult thing for most new managers. Uh-huh. How do you determine who does what? How do you tell that person how to do it and then deal with them doing it? I'm kind of a perfectionist, so like I'll often just do stuff myself rather than explain mm-hmm. to somebody else mm-hmm. how to do it and then... You know, so that's tough. I think delegation mm-hmm. is really hard for for managers, and yeah. almost no managers get good training on how mm-hmm. to be a supervisor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's a very good point, actually. Yeah, I'd never thought about that before. What are What are some other interesting things you've come across in in your study of destructive leadership? So there's different reasons people go want to be leaders. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they just get promoted. They're the you know in my position of program director, I was the only other person in line to do it. I was not ready mm-hmm. for it. I didn't ask for it. It was just sort of like someone retired and I was next in line. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So there's different reasons people, some people are narcissists, as we keep saying, they want power, they want control over others, they mm -hmm. get off on being the dominant right, person right. who can tell other people what to do, they get off on that. Mm -hmm. That's one reason people go into leadership. Mm -hmm. Some people feel a calling for it, you right. know, like a spiritual leader or something like that might, you know, somebody who's really dedicated to their nonprofit might just say, this work needs to be done mm -hmm. and I'm going to do it. Um, and then some people want leadership positions. There's at least three reasons why people go into leadership. So for themselves, because they feel a calling. And then sometimes um, they just kind of want the perks or they want the sure. like title or they want, you know, and it's a little different than wanting the power. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. So some people just sort of want the perks that come with it or right. the, you know, the title that comes with it, um, but they aren't power hungry necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, anyway, there's at least three reasons why people choose to go into leadership positions mm -hmm. or management positions. So, so what kind of destructive leader do you find most interesting? Oof. Manager at Arby's or Jim Jones? Right, yeah. I have been <laughs> listening to a lot of this Cults podcast, so I've been really down the rabbit hole of right. like truly destructive people who, you know, a lot of the cults start with, an, a true idea, you know, they really mm. believe in something, but yep. then the power goes to their They're head. Like and this then yarn it's, cult. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> and then, and then the power goes to their head, and then they become more interested in controlling their followers mm. than they are in whatever the original vision or mission of the group was supposed to be. Hmm. Um, and that's a morphing that's sort of interesting too. Um, and any destructive leader has followers. You can't be a leader. You can't be alone on a desert island and be leading a cult. Yeah. So right. there's a lot. I find the followers really fascinating too. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then there's sort of a third leg of that, um, which is a conducive environment. So if you have um, disruption, upheaval, people are upset, they look for a strong leader to tell them what to do. Interesting. And so you kind of have this perfect storm of a charismatic, narcissistic person that has a vision for how mm -hmm. they think things should be. You have a chaotic, disruptive sort of environment. People are unsure of themselves or uncertain. Um, and then you have these followers who their needs aren't being met somehow. You know, that's why a lot of cults go after like college kids who are just sort of trying to figure out what their life is about. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, and then that just makes this perfect storm of mm -hmm. Interesting. news. Wow. Okay. So what, what cult leader do you find most fascinating? I should have come prepared on that one. I didn't. I just keep, I've been just like binge listening well, You got to your the Jim Jones. Yeah. You got your, uh, uh, who was the, the bald guy with the comet? Oh, the hail bop guy? Yeah, they all cut their testicles off. Ooh, I haven't gotten to that one hail yet. Bop. You don't know about Heaven's yeah. Gate? No. Oh, yeah. my God. You don't remember that happening? No, what year was it? They had like track like 98 suits. 98 or something? Like, okay. 97? Special track suits and yeah, they all killed themselves. Yeah, that was so bizarre. Yeah. They're so like nice and everybody's like, yeah, they're the nicest people, you know? They weren't stockpiling weapons. They weren't mm -hmm. like, there wasn't weird sex stuff going on. They're just like the nicest. They're like the Mormons. I was, of, uh, I was thinking that <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, totally. Um, there is actually a really interesting Mormon, not that I'm calling the Mormons a cult, but there's like a fundamentalist, uh, you know, polygamist sect mm -hmm. that I thought was really Yeah, I think branches of Mormonism have kind of become I thought cults. that was like the main thing. I, I, I know that Mitt Romney's family, for instance, uh, they, actually were, they actually moved to Mexico really? because their jurisdiction, like where they were living, they were Mormons and they made polygamy illegal. So they just moved to Mexico, like in the in like whatever time period, and just so they could. Be well, practice, I yeah. thought didn't they move to Utah in the first place because it wasn't for some reason they could practice polygamy there? I think that's there? where because it, it wasn't started. a state yet. It wasn't yeah, a state wasn't yet a at that point, yeah. and so they didn't have federal jurisdiction right, right. over it, and so yeah. the federal laws didn't the, the anti polygamy federal laws didn't apply yeah. in Utah. I mean, initially. I'll be honest. As weird as that stuff is, like. If you want to have a polygamous marriage, just have one. You know, like I don't think it should be illegal. Mathematically, it doesn't make any sense, though. Right. Because you're gonna end up with a. It's like a game of musical chairs. Uh -huh. You're gonna end if everybody's got three wives. There's gonna be some men with zero wives. Right. Right. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. mathematically but work out. But do you out. think it should be illegal? That's a really interesting question. There's I gonna be think... men with zero wives either way. Yeah, exactly. That's true. That's true. I mean, it is true that like violence f happens when there's men who aren't married and form groups. Like in China right now, that's becoming a, a big problem. Like gangs of men that just kind of like turn into you know violent posses. They're incels. incels. Yeah, yeah, totally, incels, totally. Yes. Yeah. But I want my multiple husbands too. Like, absolutely. <laughs> it's yeah, not would just it, about. Would the... it work out if if everybody's monogamous or everybody's <laughs> polygamous? Like, polygamous. Like, yeah, maybe. Mathematically, that's, interesting. That's, yeah. that's the way you solve it right yeah. there. 
Yeah. yeah. Why is that not a thing? Why can't women no, have? This is interesting. Yeah. I've not come across a single cult where it was a woman who was advocating for, I want five husbands. Right. I, so I don't know. <laughs> a man uh, would go for it. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot. I would. That's I'd be fine lot. with that. You, I had one. It was too much. Uh, I do. No, I no longer have one. I mean, I I have a great one. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, a great right. one is the key <laughs> word there. I would be totally fine if I was in some sort of family dynamic where I have multiple wives and have children, and like it's just a big family, and then they have multiple husbands. I'd be totally cool with yeah, that. Yeah, I'm like, what if my husband wanted another wife? Like, what if I want another husband, and we all wanted to have like another. I'm f- I'd be fine like, with what, that. What's I wrong like with that? Might, yeah, that's, it's we're all consenting adults. Absolutely. absolutely. I don't know why we have to drag the government into any of this. Because the government is a government, horrible boss. It really it is. It is a horrible why boss. Why is why is the government involved in marriage in the first place? Isn't it just an agreement between two people or twelve people or whatever? Yeah, but you know somebody's got to somebody's got to oversee it. I don't agree with the government being involved in marriage either. To be honest, but. right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Diana. Yes. Now, you have a pretty harrowing experience. I do have a terrible... Tell us about it. So, um, I actually, I was uh, 21 years years old, and I just graduated from college, and Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do with my life, so I decided to join the Army. Mm. And uh, I was, I graduated from a woman's college, first of all. Wow. Um, And I... Made it through basic training. I made it through my um, AIT training, and I What's got AIT. AIT is your advanced individualized training, so uh, it's where you go to learn your specific job. Uh, what was your job? My job was a supply sergeant, a supply specialist. All right. So you learn your specific job, and then you end up uh, getting sent to wherever you're going for your uh, permanent duty station. Where'd you get sent? Fort Lewis, Washington. All right. Um, and I got to my permanent duty station, and I got assigned to the 14th Engineer Battalion. And at the time was 1997. They had just integrated um, combat units with women. Oh, wow. So there were maybe 30 women in a unit right. of 500 people. Oh, man. And so I, had, I was in the... the um, Headquarter company in the S four, which is the supply section, mm-hmm. and my my um, my sergeant was also a supply specialist. And at first, we got along really great. But mm-hmm. um, as I spent more time in the unit, um, I'm not good at running. So first of all, I was really bad at running. So you know, my, my why was running a big part of it? Because it's part of the army. <laughs> Why does running have to be such a big part of military? How, how often are you running, like in combat? I mean, I don't. I've never been in combat, yeah, yeah. but I know they would. They, I mean, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays were running days, wow. and Tuesdays and Thursdays were push-ups. Okay. Um, but so I wasn't very good at running. So she's kind of like soured on me, uh-huh. and then um, it turns out that she is. She was an E seven. I was an E four. And she did not have a bachelor's degree, and I did. Mm. And she started poking at me a little bit every now and then, like, oh, nobody here likes you because you think you're better than them because you have a bachelor's degree and no one else here does. And, like, it's only, like, the officers would have degrees and the enlisted people usually wouldn't. What what is that called when someone tries to, like, kind of gaslight you with, like, social, like, nobody likes you type of thing? There's got to be a name for I, that, I just, right? Sorry, I, I very hard relate to the idea of like you have an education and other, it makes other people uncomfortable and it's like, and they tell you, well, you know, you know, you think you're better than me because of your degree. I never said, you know, yeah, it's like exactly. you, right. you think you're yeah. the one with the problem, not yeah. me, you know? But but the, 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 the truth was at the time, I didn't have a lot of friends. I, uh-huh. I was, there weren't any women. Right. I came from a situation where I was with all women right. and now I'm with all men. And it was really hard to relate to these people, mm-hmm. very different backgrounds and life experiences. So I was getting constantly po- poked at about, mm-hmm. you know, no one likes you. Everyone thinks you think you're better than them. And like I and then I found out like she doesn't like me because mm-hmm. I'm she, she she one day I come into my barracks and I have a message from my roommate left me a message that said, call Sergeant Tran. And I was like, OK, so I called her and She's like, I don't want you to call me. I don't know why you're calling me. I'm like, I had a message to call you. Hmm. And she's like, okay. And so I 
she supposedly hangs up the phone, but like the phone doesn't hang up. It's like I can still hear right, what's right. going on on the other side These of the line. These were 90s problems. You yes, don't quite 90s. get that anymore. So, so she starts ye- yelling to her husband about how much she hates me oh, and how no. I'm a horrible person. Was she doing she, this on purpose? or She didn't know I okay. could hear. Oh, my God. That's awful. So so she's you know talking to her husband about how... And her husband was like the nicest man ever. Uh-huh. And so she's telling him about, I wish I didn't have to deal with her and she's horrible and she, she you know, mm. can't get anything done right. And, and so I just break down completely. And, sure. you know, she like over time I would get in trouble for like, oh, I left a light on in the closet hmm. and I would get a counseling statement and I'd have to like, you know, fill out and you get a certain amount of counseling statements you get you know, punished or you don't get to go on leave and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So like I was racking up counseling statements for stupid stuff like leaving a light on. And eventually it just got to the point where I didn't want to deal with it anymore. And I took a whole bunch of uh, muscle relaxers mm. and ended up in the hospital. Oh, my God. Um, in the ER. And I remember being in the ER and them forcing them, me to drink the the charcoal. Oh, I remember the charcoal. And um, I remember my company commander who is also a woman comes in and she was like why are you thinking why are you doing this to yourself you're gonna get court-martialed for trying to destroy military property and i'm like i just tried to kill myself and you're now you're telling me i have to go to court because of it and i'm like this is not helping wow and and so then i'm in you know the the psych ward for a week and my sergeant actually comes to see me which i was like she knew Mm-hmm. Everyone knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. Everyone could see what was happening, but nobody could do anything about mm-hmm. it because of the way the military hierarchy works. It's not like you can go to HR and say like right. this is happening. Um, so she comes in and I just start shaking, like, like uncontrollably. Uh-huh. Like, do you think she came t- intentionally to intimidate you? I have or- no idea. I think she was trying to look Ugh. good, maybe. Like, oh, I actually have to look like I care about this person. Um, but eventually they were going to let me leave the military. Um, but um, the same company commander who was like, you're going to go to jail or whatever, was like, you should you should stick it out. And mm. I, I ended up sticking it out. And she Four actually... Years? Three years. Okay. Yeah. Um, the sergeant who was horrible to me, of course, she got promoted and mm. moved to a different unit. And then every other sergeant I had after that was amazing. Nice. I was like, like I would, we would get a new sergeant and I would just be like, I would right, tense right. up and I like freak out. I'm like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And they were perfectly nice, reasonable human beings. Oh, that's great. That like supported me and allowed me to grow and like be good at my job. Mm-hmm. So, so overall, was the army a good experience? It after was that? not. Nah, I mean, it, even and, with in, I would say, yeah, I met some good people. I mm-hmm. met my husband in the army, um, but that experience colored it mm-hmm. so harshly for me mm-hmm. that I there was no way I was going to stay. Right. Right. Wow. Wow. And I, still dealing to this day with you know the depression and mm-hmm. anxiety. And, and you think it all stemmed from that? I think I I think it that experience pushed it over the right. edge. Like yeah. I think it was there for time before that, but this was just mm. like the mm. catalyst to like yeah. bring it to the next level. Yeah, I could see. I mean, it sounds so nightmarish to just be like thrown into this world with, you know, just it sounds like just complete isolation and you know, just no no literal literally no control over right. your life. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What do you think about that, Abby? So I'm. this is really interesting, and I think we exchanged a little bit on the Facebook thread about this. So yeah. I, when I do the unit in my leadership class about toxic leadership, we listen to – I'll try to find it and send it. Um, it's, a, it's not a long interview, but it's maybe seven or eight minutes. It's an NPR uh, interview about this concept, and they did it with the Army. So what happened was they were having all these suicide, actual or attempted suicide issues. They brought in a sociologist. I don't recall his name, and he – went all over the Mideast uh, interviewing people who were surrounding the person who had either committed or attempted suicide. And so at that time, the protocol 
was to essentially blame the victim, to say what was wrong with this person, what was wrong in their life, did they just get broken up with, did they just, you know, had they had a history of this in their past, and no one was looking at what was happening around that person. So the sociologist, after interview after interview, was hearing that that person was being berated by their boss, being, um, he, he used some term where they like try to kind of basically dream up horrible like things for you to have to do, like tasks for you to do, you know, mm. and things yeah. like that. And the I, encourage isolation once a supervisor. So he described exactly what you just talked about. Mm-hmm. And they interview a person who had had attempted and, but it really did change their thinking. So after that, and I know this is, you know, not in enough time to save you from your situation since <laughs> that was so many years ago, but um, they did start a new protocol in the army and they looked into this concept of toxic leadership. They did a survey that, uh, and they found that about 30% of the leaders in the army fell under the hmm. umbrella of some form of toxic. And wow. so partially it's those leaders' fault, but partially it's the structure in the organization that, like you said, there's no one to go to. Yeah, it's just allowed to happen. And there's yeah. nowhere else to go. It's not like if you have to go to a shitty eight-hour-a-day job five days a week, you still get to go home to your own home at the end of that. When you're enlisted in the Army, it is 24-7. Yes. Yeah. And there's no way that can't make someone... You know, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly, like the idea of joining the military always terrified me. Like I was so scared that there was going to be a draft again, you know? And like, I mean, was basic training brutal? It was. Yeah. It was. And I, and I will say again, coming from the situation of me, I was 21 years old and I was just graduating from college Everyone I was in basic with was 17 or 18 and just uh, come from high school. Right. And that that difference in even just in mm-hmm. age is huge. Oh, like yeah. you don't think it's huge. Well, huge at that de- time. De- it, developmentally, right, those right. are Seven, very big differences. 18 and 22, 21 are like, I mean, now a few years is like nothing. Like now that we're older, but like at that age, it's. It, it's, it was a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And I. I like met one or two people that I connected with, but like I, I mean, and I'm not, and be even being older than them, I was still getting bullied. Like they right, would, they yeah. would, you know, gang mm. up and be like, oh, she's a narc and she's horrible. Mm. And she, you know, like, so they'd gang up on me. Mm. And so it started even before the, mm. the toxic the t- the leader, leader, the bad right. leader, like just the culture, the bullying, yeah, the bullying and everything. Yeah, do, does the army? Does the military? Why is it like? Does it need to be run like that? Like, why isn't it just run more like any other business? You know, or like any other? Like, why does it have to be like this psychological breaking? Because of, it's life or death. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think you get they they put you in these situations that are going to mentally prepare you for like you're going to be in a right, position right. of life or death mm-hmm. so this is you know really really fucked up stuff you're going to deal with so let's fuck you up now mm. <laughs> before we put you in the, yeah. the except shit. most people yeah. do their entire career never seeing combat and never yeah, yeah that's what that I, more like should it just today. be a certain percentage of like yeah. of the military should go through that you know like people that are willing to like you know put themselves in life or death situations like I mean, aren't most people just kind of working in offices and yeah, doing pretty stuff much. On I mean, yeah. supplies management. What was it? Yeah, a supply specialist. Yeah. But I was working for a combat unit, so right. You know, we ordered C four yeah. and stuff like that. So, did you, were you still in the military when uh, when the wars broke out? And no, 2000s? I got out in two thousand. Oh, okay. So, and they didn't try to get you back. I know they tried to call they, a lot of people back. They did not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, when you sign up, um, you are, you sign up for eight years. Um, you have active service. So my active service was three years, right. and then I had five more years after that where they could call me back if they right, wanted right. to. Where you're like, please. And so yeah, so like the back. five years after, I was just like every ah, every yeah. year I hit that next year. I was like, yes, 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 I'm not <laughs> going back. So nice. Well, I'm glad you got through that. Sounds, Me too. Sounds brutal. Do you think you have you recovered from it, or is it still? Um, I think when I typed it out, when I said my story mm-hmm. on Facebook, I like cried after that. Really? Like, wow. and I'm really proud. I'm not crying now because it, wow. it's still very emotional sure. and hard. Yeah. But yeah. you know, I think part part of it is the injustice of it. Yeah. 
that's, you know, you were mm-hmm. a victim of an unjust situation, you know, and yeah. had no control or agency to change it. And she got promoted. Yeah, that seems to be the common <laughs> theme so far, too, because even mm-hmm. in our first confession, the person who he had the problem with got promoted. You know, yeah, it's I. That's what I can't stand about having people over me is like they're just that little tiny bit of power for you know, like working in restaurants. Like somebody gets promoted to manager, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden they're like this depraved, you know, just like controlling. It's, it's just so weird how just like tiny little amounts of power like that can. Well, that is why and I hate that. Fe- yeah. I hate that feeling of somebody mm-hmm. like having power over. That you. is such a good point though, in terms of like what you said earlier about like people that get promoted tend to be very good at what they do, mm. but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know once you get promoted, then you get put in a position of power. That doesn't mean that you're good at you know, leading other right, people right. just means that you were so good at your specific task that now you're in a position of leadership, but that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. translate. It's a very mm-hmm. different skill set yeah. to teach someone how to do something or manage, you know, an entire right, restaurant right. than to be a very good server or a very good chef or, a, mm-hmm. you know, but totally there's, different skill set. two sides of that coin though, because I've never, I was never in the military or anything like that, but even working in restaurants or something like that, Typically, like if you have a bunch of servers or hosts, the progression chain goes like, oh, you're a hostess, then you become a server, Mm -hmm. and then like the best servers get promoted to management. And because those servers were in, you know, were in the quote unquote trenches, like doing all the stuff with the servers, and then they get promoted to management. The, the servers look at them with a certain amount of respect as opposed to mm. if manage, if if the store goes out and hires a person that no one's ever right, met yeah, and sure. brings them in and says, this is your new manager. People mm. look at that person and are like, well, we don't fucking know this guy. I never went through shit with this guy. Right, I don't respect right. this guy. Who is he to just come in here? And then the servers get disenchanted because they're like, well, I've been working my ass off here. And instead of promoting me, you just brought in some random person who's ever mm-hmm. been here. So it is kind of weird because it's like, if you promote a server to manager, just because he was a good server doesn't mean he'd be a good manager, mm. but he might have the respect of his fellow servers when he gets that position yeah, versus if you go out and find somebody who has a specific skill set of being a manager, they might not garner the respect of the staff. Mm-hmm. So you kind of got to walk the line there. So I yeah. can see why both things happen. I would say a good yeah. balance is take that good server that you want to make a manager and give them some training mm-hmm. about how to be a manager, not just about how to run the scheduling software or mm-hmm. you know the nuts and mm-hmm. bolts of it. Give them some leadership management training mm-hmm. and and i think maybe corporate type restaurants do that better yeah. i would like to think that they do mm-hmm. but yeah i think a lot of stuff comes down to people that aren't trained they're thrown into something and it's a sink or swim and then they're in they're trying to swim and mm-hmm. so they aren't good at yeah you, you yeah. know if you're drowning you can't help your people yeah yeah and so then you then you just right. yell at them or you just whatever and you're yeah. frustrated and overwhelmed and Right. And it's because you weren't given the proper tools to manage. Yeah, it's weird how like r- like so many businesses. It, it, I'm always like, don't you? Shouldn't it just be about efficiency and making money? It's weird how like egos always get involved, and there's like this weird psychology and hierarchy and everything. And I always think like, wouldn't it work better if you just formulated a plan to you know just like hire people who are good at their jobs? If they're not good, let them go. You know, and just like try to make money for everybody. Yeah. It's weird how there's always like these weird like interpersonal psychological most schemes human beings. going yeah, on. Yeah, this is a, there's yeah. an old jokey phrase but you know most managers are people. Right. <laughs> yeah, All managers true. are people. That's true. Um maybe not in the future. I feel like yeah. computers are taking There's over. like a robot. <laughs> there was a robot that was making coffee at the San Juan at San Jose uh, airport, so you know. What do you mean by robot? It was a robot. You a like, straight up android was yes. like <laughs> Yes, it had like it was a big box, and you went and you typed your order in a little screen, and then the robot would like make your coffee. There's a there's like a <laughs> there's a robotic human like moving around. It's not like it was a, like a robot arm. Oh, that wow. is Mike Moran's yeah. future. Mike so wants yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> there wasn't a. Can I be in there moving the? So I'm like <laughs> the, the robots are controlling our coffee. What's next? Is they're going to be managers? They really are. They're going to be managers. Yeah. Yeah. I think I might be. More okay with that than humans. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, you so there actually is some artificial intelligence data about whether, because uh, there's, so I just watched a whole thing about automation. Um, I forgot, it was like a Dateline or something like that. But uh, there's this idea that you want to like sort of outsource the lower level jobs to, uh, you know, to robots and stuff like that. And that higher level, like processing, decision making, mm. planning should be done by humans. And there's actually been some new research where they, yeah. that, that computers are better at Absolutely. making decisions. Oh, God, also. Yeah. Right. I think I'd rather have a have like a computer president. 
And not, not just I, Trump, but like yeah. any I, I, human. I was gonna, like, yeah, I was going to get dark about things yeah. I'd rather have than Trump as president. But um, <laughs> this heater. Coffee yeah, well. I was going to say a pile of shit, but yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for um, sharing that story with us, Diana. Yeah. Know that's, uh, that was really, Hey, know. we're we're glad that you're here. Yeah. I am too. All right. This one is from Whitney from North Carolina. North Carolina. That's right. Thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> right out of undergrad, I taught at a charter school run by a disbarred attorney and her best friend whose qualifications seemed to consist of having grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> she was a liar and a bully, and I strongly suspect a crook. Just a couple of examples. She required all the teachers to put in uh, full two full-time weeks of classroom prep and building maintenance before school started. This was 100% mandatory on pain of termination. Then she didn't pay us for those two weeks. When I threatened to call the Department of Labor, she agreed to pay everyone. Later, I found out she'd only paid me to shut me up. The teachers were all young and inexperienced, easier to manipulate. She also brought two teachers over from China to teach Chinese. She told them that they'd be making a full salary and getting room and board. The room turned out to be an efficiency apartment over a defunct gas station, and they got pens nowhere near a livable wage. It was disgusting. The school was shut down after I left. Hmm. Like human trafficking, but yeah. in school. Kind of sounds like that's what uh, schools are becoming in some way, aren't they? Like they're having to bring in a lot of foreign teachers and, and because a lot of domestic teachers aren't willing. Like a lot of teachers are just quitting, aren't they? Yeah. Just leaving. Very high turnover industry. Yeah. 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 What do you guys think about that? the whole world of like um, schools and, and the, the hierarchies and everything there? Do you know anything about that? I don't know anything about K-12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I imagine public versus private is very different. Yeah, I don't even know what I a char- I honestly don't even know like what the charter school thing even means. Like I've heard that phrase before, but I don't know how that's different than a publicly run school and like why. Yeah, I don't why really these know either, actually now that yeah. you mention it. Why I these two grandmas can just start one. Because right, you can yeah. start a charter school. Yeah, you can yeah. start one and then people can go there. It's kind of it's like in between a How's private school. How's that not school? a private school? I guess it kind of is, but the state... You get public funding. Yeah, you get public uh, yeah. funding. Okay. Interesting. But apparently no oversight. Huh. Yeah, it's... And according to that story, anyway. Right. And, and usually public uh, charter schools are, you know, formed with good intentions. And like, oh, uh, we want to educate, you know, young women leaders. Right, or, you right. know, they'll, they'll come up with... Uh, yeah. There was a charter yeah. school on my college campus because we were a teaching college. And so this, it was to give the students the opportunity to have a, co- you know, a school on campus. Yeah. Huh. And my, my, nep- yeah. my nephews... My nephew went to a, like an arts-based charter school. Okay. So, and okay. he like wrote musicals when he was in eleventh grade. Wow. Like, yeah, I wish I had gone to a school like that. I went yeah. to my friend's teenage son's art school recently in Baltimore, and it looked freaking awesome. He actually just drew the cover art for my my new special coming up. It's a really good artist. Shout out to Gray Clifford. Nice. Um, he's like 15 and he's already doing his thing. I'm jealous that I didn't do that. But at the same time, I couldn't do anything when I was that age. <laughs> I think, I think a lot of the, the, with teachers and hierarchy and my husband worked for city schools for a few years. Mm-hmm. So he saw, you know, what was happening and like, you know, it's harder when you're new, like mm-hmm. y- you have to, cause you get like tenure, you get like your years and you're. And eventually, once you're there long enough, they move you to the central office and you get an office job and you don't have to deal with kids anymore, but you don't actually know how to do that office job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah. like, they like to put you know, old teachers into HR, huh. um, Interesting. which was one of his problems because he's an HR payroll professional. Yeah. Um, but it is, you know, it's it's kind of like, can you play the political game long enough to last mm. to get your pension or mm. to get your mm-hmm. your retirement, your reward or whatever you're right. holding out for? So it's mm. it's really just a playing politics. Yeah, right. and the system yeah. doesn't reward actual good teachers. You know, I had I had plenty of good teachers coming up. I went mm-hmm. Baltimore County Public Schools, as did you, right? Yeah. Yeah, good good teachers. But I also had teachers that were just doing what you said, just playing the political game, trying to get to their tenure. And the system doesn't reward the teachers that actually go outside the box and actually try to be good teachers mm-hmm. because their metrics, the standardization, everything like that, is only is only making sure the teachers are doing this. So teachers are doing the bare minimum, 
because that's all they have to do. And then, right. you know, everybody suffers. And the teachers that actually went into that profession because they actually wanted to teach are, you know, disenchanted yeah. with the system. They're like, well, fuck this. Yeah. Like, I'm a babysitter, you're telling right. me? I'm just, right. I'm, this is what I do? We're just right. practicing for this exam at the yeah. end of the year? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So also, you know, there's a lot of, like, uh, police, teachers, everybody wants to criticize what they're doing, but we're talking about people who don't make a lot of money no. and have to, you know. So there's a real double-edged sword to this, and it's always sort of like, how do we get better? How do we recruit better teachers? How do we do? Mm -hmm. Pay them more because you you are either a martyr and you do have that strong passion and that care, or like the beginning of Bad Teacher where she's like, I thought I got into this job for all the right reasons. Summer's off, no accountability. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, nice. you know, you're asking a lot of people who are not making a lot of money. And mm -hmm. and that's, I think that's part of it too. It's sort of like, who would want to do that job? Right, the, when I hear about people and their experience, like they, you know, like, they, they have to spend their own money to just to buy classroom supplies yep. and their tissues. You know, They're going to the store and buying their own tissues. And, and, their and own, there's like know? a kid who's clearly being abused and that they can't do anything about it. You know, it's like yeah. always stuff like that. It just sounds horrible. Well, the, I think that I think the the change in the I think that the change in pay needs to go hand in hand with the change in the system because right now you have a system where the only the all the, the only expectations of what the kids are given in that system is worth what teachers are getting paid. Mm -hmm. So you have, you have, it's like, okay, I'll put it this way. If you're working at McDonald's, for instance, and your job is to flip burgers, you could be the best, you could be the, you could be an astrophysicist and have all these extra skills and be able to do whatever the hell you want to do. But at the end of the day, they might be looking at you like, dude, that's great that you have these skills, but your job is to flip burgers. Mm -hmm. So they might look at a teacher who is an excellent teacher and say, that's great that you have the ability right, to, right. to exercise minds and yeah, enlighten inspire. children, but your job is to fucking be a test proctor. Yeah, and so that's yeah. what we're going to pay you. So I don't think the solution is just, let's just give them more money and keep the system the same way because you're just going to have the same results and it's going to cost more. Mm. We're so just going to yeah. burn it down. We just yeah. got to burn it all down. Raise the pay, but also you got to change the system. <laughs> we don't <too>. need no. <laughs> no, I think you know, as I, my education is in industrial and organizational psychology, so what you're talking about is performance evaluation. Yeah. And you get the behavior you reward. Mm -hmm. You get the behavior that you measure and that you hold people accountable for. So if you're not holding teachers accountable for, you know, the emotional development of their students or something like that, then they're not going to do that. You, all that they're mm -hmm. metriced on is how many questions correct did these students mm -hmm. in your classroom get on this final exam. And if that's the only way that you're evaluating performance, that's the exactly. behavior mm -hmm. you're going to get. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be more holistic performance appraisal processes yeah. for teachers yeah. to reward the ones who are actually going above and beyond or trying yeah. to be creative to, in how they teach and things like that. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Well, let's get to one last confessional here. This is from... Can I bring up... Sorry, can I bring yeah, up sure. one point real fast? Absolutely. Which is that all of these examples so far have been women leaders. And I just want to say that there are different perceptions. And so um, your story was... Obviously, she was horrible. Yes. But um, <laughs> there, it's just interesting to me because we talk about how there aren't a lot of women in leadership positions, yet all three examples so far yeah, have been of right. a woman leader. You're and right. I just want to say there are some perceptual differences Absolutely. in how people Absolutely. perceive a leader. I, so what might be viewed as a strong, right, right. A strong direction male leader is a right. bitchy overbearing yeah. sure, female sure. leader. absolutely yeah and i i i will even admit like i've noticed that about myself before like i don't i don't think i'm i've you know i'm not really like i've never acted out but like i i will admit like when i it have a, a woman boss there's something in me that's just kind of like I just have more of that kind of like, oh, God. Kind it of sounds thing. like your mom is nagging you to Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like I realize that, that I'm too, and I try perfect. to get better with it. <laughs> that was exactly right here in my head. Like, I don't think I act out on it, but I will admit that that's my first thought of, like, when a woman tells me what to do versus a man is just more like, okay. You know, which I know is horrible. I no, will say the good sergeant, the first good sergeant I had in the Army after the bad one uh -huh. was a woman. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, yeah. She so we have was one good. Part. I, th I think we have a horrible man here coming right. up next. So, uh, this is uh, from Nadia Martins, Baltimore. There was a manager who was fired for falling asleep in a booth before I worked for this restaurant, but brought back later. His first night back, he closed up early and had the whole staff drinking free at the bar, self service. I left with some co workers because it was weird. I was 18, by the way, and he tried putting his hands up my skirt. And we got a phone call from the bartender who was hiding in the ladies' bathroom and asked us to save him. We 
we came back to find our, our boss completely naked on the floor. He also had an ankle bracelet on. Well, then he's not completely naked. Yeah. <laughs> so me and some coworkers <laughs> decided that if we got caught, we'd all get caught. Called an off-duty cop to get him home before his curfew. And we did all this closing paperwork and mopped up his urine from behind the bar. Wow. Just weeks after I was fired for something super shitty, I was sad because the local pub waitress uh, who was pregnant was murdered. A table asked me how I was, and I responded that we all had recently lost someone close to us. And if we seemed a little down, that was why. She complained that I was inappropriate and I was fired. That terrible manager who I mentioned previously called to tell me that he wanted to stick up for me but couldn't, and if I needed a reference, he would give me one. A reference from piss pants and a bracelet. <laughs> no one cleaned up my urine as well as her. Yeah. I'm just going to say, other than the hands up the skirt thing, that guy seemed like a pretty awesome boss. <laughs> <laughs> he closed the yeah, store early. Yeah. He let everyone drink and get fucked up. Like, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, mean, come on. Right, other than the sexual harassment, he was pretty yeah. much Jeff you, If you nix the sexual harassment from the story, awesome boss. One bad trait. That's it. <laughs> Wow, that's, I mean, that does almost seem kind of par for the course in the restaurant industry. Oh, yeah. You know, just, uh, I've never, I've never like quite worked at a place where it was just total party, you know, but uh, it seems like a lot of people have. Yeah. My only restaurant experience was I was 16, so Mm -hmm. there was no partying at the old people lunch counter that I worked at, (laughs) so... It just yeah, it just kind of becomes a lifestyle. You, mm-hmm. you you go if you work at a bar, you get to work at five. You work until two, and then they, right. everybody goes out, and everybody's doing coke, and and everybody's fucking everybody, like because right. those are your friends. That's your social life. Yeah. So yeah. it just becomes this incestuous kind of like social, mm-hmm. and it's not all bad. Like it's fun. Those yeah, I can imagine it'd be fun friends. for a while. Like if you know, in kind of younger years, but a lot is, of people yeah. get stuck in that. And yeah, you don't want to get stuck in it because then you see yourself become the old guy. Yeah, and it's cool when you're like in your early sure. 20s and it's sure. like you're part of the crew but then like you know i got out when i was about uh 24 25 just because i was just like right i could right see time. myself being like three years older than everyone else yeah. and i was yeah. like i just don't want to be the lifer here. don't right. be that guy yeah. do yeah. not be that guy yeah yeah all right guys is there anything else uh, we want to touch on before we go any uh any thoughts or ideas you want to you want to get out yeah. I just want to say, if you know you're having a shitty, horrible boss, you can come talk to me because I've been there and I can awesome. <laughs> give you a hug. Yeah, that's great. I have no concluding thoughts. Sorry. Um, yeah. All right. Get a job. Get a job. That's my <laughs> get a fucking job. Be an independent contractor <laughs> yeah. so you don't have to deal with the that's boss. What I'm Be your own boss, do. guys. Yeah. Be your own boss. Absolutely. That's all I have to say. Now, I have a lot to say about that too. So but I'm probably know. a terrible <laughs> boss to myself. Too, independent so. contractors. <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Can be. Right? Can be right. terrible. All right. Well, thank you so much, Abby, for stopping by. Thank you guys this so much for episode. having me. This was really anytime. fun. Come by anytime. Diana, thank you so much thank for co-hosting. Thank you. Thank you. I love it. Great to see it. you. And thank you, Jimmy, for producing. And thank you, Mike, for being a terrible boss. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you guys next time on The Confessional.